0: to be pitied but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man has come also resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Now we will read from verse forty-two to verse forty-four. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a, it is sown a natural body, it is raised. A spiritual body, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We will also read verse 54 till the end of the chapter. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death, where is, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May the Lord bless the reading of this word.
1: morning, so today is what is commonly known as Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday as some people like to call it. Now, you know, we have a, you know, we like to sing at, at home, we always sing, um, you know, before we pray morning and evening and, and there's a section of songs called, you know, the Christmas songs, you know, the songs of the Incarnation. So nobody picks those songs except when we get to December of the year, you know. Um, And then if anybody picks a song, you know, some other time of the year, like in April or something, somebody will go, this is a Christmas song, we can't sing this now. So, uh, you know, I was a little bit of a dilemma today because uh, it's, uh, you know, Easter Sunday and I was supposed to be speaking from Ephesians. Um, And then I thought, you know, should I continue with that or should I speak on the resurrection and... uh, then I figured, you know, it's the one, one day of the year where people are actually thinking about the subject, so why not uh, switch gears a little bit, you know. So there's nothing that says we cannot speak about the resurrection the rest of the year, uh, or that we have to speak about the resurrection on, on Easter Sunday, but nevertheless, um, this is what the Lord had on my heart for, for this day. The resurrection of the Lord, the Apostle Paul starts off this passage, which is really the, the single most um, authoritative teaching, On the subject of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead in general. And he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. And by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he rose buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and this is the the resurrection of christ is the most pivotal moment in human history and of that there is there is no doubt and we look at our own life and we look at uh, human history itself we find that that uh, you know no other single moment has transformed the world as did the resurrection of the lord jesus christ why is this resurrection so important now There's many things that we could talk about this morning. You know, we could talk about trying to prove that the resurrection really happened, but that's not what um, I'm going to do this morning. Rather, I'd like to look at, you know, why does it matter so much? Why should it matter to us? Why is the resurrection important to the Christian faith? And more importantly, how should the fact, the reality of the resurrection of Christ and what it means for our own resurrection, how should this impact our life today now i know that most of you if not all of you accept the fact of the resurrection and yet very often we if somebody asks us you know is it real how do you prove it you know perhaps we're not all that that versed in in uh, in um, you know making that argument for the for the, the the historicity of the resurrection and while that's not what i want to cover this this morning uh, you know i encourage you to go and listen to the um, The video that Raven sent out, I think he did an excellent job of laying out the the historicity or the proofs uh, for the resurrection. And it's something that we all need to know and understand. Uh, But for today, we are going to assume that we all accept that and try to understand a little more about the meaning to the believer. Why is the resurrection so important? And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul here, interestingly, in talking about the resurrection... He starts out actually declaring, he said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you and which you also receive. So he starts off with, you know, presenting the, the key elements of the gospel message. And uh, we know in reading through this entire passage that uh, the reason the apostle went into this um, this very subject was because there was a, a dispute in the early church. There were some questions being brought up. And we find a hint of that in verse 12. He says, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So we know that there was a group of people in that early church, in the very early days of the church, who had come into the church and were trying to spread wrong doctrine or heretical doctrines. And one of it was this, that they were questioning the uh, the very fact of resurrection they were teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead and what the apostle Paul is trying to do here is to, is to uh, inform the Corinthian believers through this epistle through his writing the truth about the fact of the resurrection and you, in doing that he goes back to the gospel he goes back to the resurrection of Christ he, he relates how the resurrection of Christ is important for us to understand our future hope Uh, But that was the, the wrong teaching that he was trying to address. And he starts off with the gospel. And he gives out the very simple elements of the gospel. And we find here that he presents the basic gospel message that he says that you has already been delivered to you by which you have been saved. And that is that, first of all, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Secondly, his death was according to the scriptures. The death of Christ was foretold and planned by God it wasn't something that just happened on a whim it wasn't something that you know Christ came to the earth and therefore you know some people didn't like what he was doing and they just decided that they were going to crucify him and it just sort of happened along uh, you know as time went by no it was something that was that happened according to the scriptures it had been prophesied go all the way back the very first prophecy of the death of Christ we find in Genesis chapter 3 when when man has sinned and God has pronounced the curse on the serpent or he's pronouncing the curse on the serpent and he promises that Redeemer, he says the seed of the woman will come and you will, uh, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And that is the first promise that we find of the Messiah. But we know that it goes back even beyond that to eternity past when God in his sovereignty, he planned uh, the, the, uh, the fact that his son would come and become the perfect sacrifice and then he prophesied that starting in Genesis and going on to all the prophets we find the, the sufferings of Christ, the arrival of Christ, the birth of Christ, the sufferings, uh, the resurrection, all of these things being uh, being prophesied in the scriptures. And so not only did he say Christ died, the gospel is that Christ died but that he died according to the scriptures and that he was buried which is of course a natural thing when a person dies, he gets buried, but here's the amazing thing. Not only did he die according to the scripture, and not only was he buried like all people who die are, but that he rose again the third day again according to the scriptures. Just as his death was prophesied, so also his resurrection was foretold and planned by God. And the whole structure of Christianity rests on the foundation of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ did on the cross only has significance because he rose again from the dead. If Christ had died, if we could have said that he died for the sins of the world and he was buried and he stayed in that grave, then his death would have been no different than the death of you and I, death of any other human being. It would have not mattered uh, a, a bit. But praise God, he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by all of these people and so Paul presents the, the, uh, the key elements of the gospel before he goes into the discussion of the resurrection and he wants us to understand how important the resurrection is to the very essence of the gospel message and he presents a little bit of a warning here as he gets into this passage he says the, uh, you know, the, the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. What does he mean when he says, unless you believed in vain? I believe what he's talking about there is that, you know, he was addressing the believers here, the church of Corinth, and no doubt, you know, most of the believers there, like, you know, most of us here today, this morning were saved, and they had come, they had heard the gospel, they had responded to the gospel, but it was quite possible that there were some there who perhaps thought that they believed, but they did not really have that that true experience of conversion, the true experience of of trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord. And so Paul reiterates this message. And I think it's important for us, you know, very often, you know, when we minister the word here, we don't really speak much uh, about the gospel. We don't present the gospel. And yet it's quite possible that there are some here who perhaps you know, especially when you come from the background that many of us do, we just sort of go with the flow and we hear the gospel from the day we are born, literally, and we know the message. And yet it's quite possible that, you know, our, our belief as we think of it might in fact be in vain, that we never really have come to that saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, so I, th- I thought it would be useful for us to look very quickly into the key elements of the gospel message. And of course, if you are... believer in Christ I praise God for that but it's also important that we know how to present the gospel to others and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't uh, seem very comfortable doing that because we don't hear too many gospel messages so I'm going to give you a little bit of a gospel message before I get into some of the truths of the of the resurrection but when we talk about the gospel there's really five key elements that we need to present and the apostle Paul sort of starts it off here uh, with the first point, which is that Christ died for our sins, and that is the fact of sin and the impact that sin had on humankind. You cannot present the gospel, whether you go in an outreach, you know, as some of, some of you did yesterday, um, you know, in Kamenahalli. You know, when you present the gospel to someone, you know, it's important that we bring to their mind, bring before them the fact of sin and the impact. Because without the realization of sin, without a recognition of sin, uh, there is no use there is no relevance for the gospel there is no relevance for a savior there is no relevance for a savior dying for the sins of mankind so sin's impact on humankind was what romans 6 23 says that the wages of sin is death right so death entered into the world through sin in romans five we're not going to turn to all these passages and it spread to all men because all sin and all men are born as sinners and this death is spiritual spiritual death means simply that we are separated from God, that we are uh, not able to have that relationship with God. It also means physical death. Just as when man sinned in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced that they would die, that man would die. So we are all going to die one day. But Ephesians 2.1 says that more important than physical death, we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. So the first point of the gospel is that we are all sinners. That sin has come into the world. That sin entered the world and as a result of it, you know, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. And death has come into the world and that's why there is death and that's why there is suffering. And when you talk to somebody and they want to know why there is a lot of suffering in the world. You know, all religions try to explain this, but it is only the biblical worldview that really explains it uh, properly. And that is that the reason there is sin And the reason that there is suffering and the reason that there is pain and death in the world is because man is a sinner. It is not because God uh, is a bad God. It is not because God is a vindictive God. It is because God created man in his image. God created the world in perfection and yet sin entered into the world and polluted all that God had created. The first point of the gospel is that Sin has come into the world. And as a result of sin, all of us are going to die one day physically. But more importantly, we are dead spiritually to God. And we are separated from the eternal holy God. The second point in the gospel is that our own efforts are never good enough to appease a most holy God. God is a holy God. And he tells us in Isaiah 64 verse 6 that all of our righteousness, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It means simply this, that no matter how much good we do, and we know we live in a culture here today where people are trying to do good. They will, they will climb mountains. They will go on pilgrimages. They will, they will go on fasts and penances, and they will walk barefoot and and do all kinds of things because they think that that it makes them more holy. Because they think that sacrificing those material things brings them closer to God, that they become more pious. But the fact is that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. God's holiness is beyond anything that we can ever imagine. first Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says, there is no one is, that no one is holy like the Lord. 1 Samuel 6, 20 says, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? The answer, of course, is no one. God is a ho- holy God. He is completely unlike us. He cannot tolerate sin. He does not engage in sin. He does not do the things that man does. And whatever we do, however good it might seem, It will never be enough to reach the perfect standard of a most holy God. We are sinners, number one. Number two, our own efforts are never good enough to appease the most holy God, to reach his standard. Nothing that we do will be enough to repair that broken relationship with God. Number three, third point in the gospel, that God has a desire. God has a desire uh, that although we cannot save ourselves, he has a plan and a desire for us. And we see that given to us in 1st John chapter 5, the epistle of 1st John, chapter 5 verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What is God's desire for you and I? God's desire for mankind is that we may know that we have eternal life. He wants us to have that assurance of eternal life. That's his plan. He wants us to, uh, his desire he expresses in John 3, verse 16, where he says that, that that no one should perish, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, <coughs> that whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. The holy God, he is so holy, he's so unapproachable, and yet he is also a loving God, and he wants to restore our relationship with him. He wants to restore the relationship of the sinful man to himself, to his holy self, and he has made a way for that. That is his desire. God loves you, and God desires to repair that broken relationship with you. He knows that you and I have no hope. He knows that no matter what we do, no matter what penance we do, no matter what pilgrimage we go on, no matter what good deeds we do, that it is never going to be enough to attain his holy standard, and yet because he loves you and I, he desires that we should have eternal life, and we should have that assurance of eternal life. And therefore, point number four, He has made a provision, and that provision is what the apostle Paul speaks about here: that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Romans six twenty three says, "The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." In Romans five six to eight. It tells us that while we were without strength, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. And not only did he die, but he rose again. Romans 5, 18 and 19 says that justification is available to all through the death of Christ. God has made a provision. We are sinners. We are born in sin. We will die in sin. We have no hope to reach God because he is a holy God. He is unapproachable. Nothing that we do is enough, but God loves us and he has a desire that we should come to him, that we should have eternal life and he has made a provision for us by providing his son, his sinless, spotless lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the scriptures, he came to the world, he died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and my sins and he rose again the third day and now what do you have to do? You simply have to trust in Christ and his work on your behalf. Romans 10, 9. If we can turn there. It says that if you confess with your mouth. Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You have to accept that you are a sinner, separated from God and needing reconciliation. You have to come to the point of conviction of your sin and confess to God that you are a sinner. And then you have to believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God. You have to believe in your heart that he died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and my sins. And that he paid the penalty for your sins and my sins to placate a righteous God. And, you have, and that God has accepted his sacrifice, his death on your behalf, on my behalf. And that God has raised him on the third day. Romans ten ten says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation confess with your mouth before god that you are trusting in the death of christ as the only means for salvation that you are no longer depending on your own works that you're no longer depending on your own goodness because it is no good. It is not good enough. And this is the toughest thing for people to do. I remember some 25 years ago when I was sharing the gospel with a, with a colleague of mine at the office as we got talking to something and, and I explained this whole thing to him. And then he asked me, well, what then what way do we have if you're telling me that we have no hope? And then when I said, all you have to do is believe in Christ, he He rejected that. Why? Because he said that sounds too simple. That sounds too easy. You mean I don't have to do anything? Such a hard thing to accept. And yet that is the point at which one goes from darkness to life. When one accepts that nothing that I do, nothing that you do is enough to restore that relationship with a holy God. And all you have to do is trust in what Christ has done. Put your trust completely and believe by faith that when he died, he died for your sins and my sins and that is what the easter message is all about that is what the resurrection of christ is all about that's what the gospel message is all about the gospel that was delivered to the saints and the apostle paul here he gives a warning he says yes you have heard the message you have heard this message um, by which you are saved if you hold fast that word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain dear friend i want to ask you this morning perhaps you did believe in something When you were young, when you were a child. Perhaps you walked down the aisle. Perhaps you raised your hand. But examine yourself this morning. Have you truly believed? Or was that belief in vain? Are you holding fast to the word which was preached to you, that word of the gospel? It is quite possible that we have gone through life believing that we are saved, but we really are not. And the apostle here says, make sure that you did not believe in vain. And I want to encourage each one to examine our hearts especially the young children who perhaps haven't given their life to the Lord, whether you are truly saved, whether this gospel message really means something to you, whether you are holding fast to the word which has been preached to you and which has been delivered to you and examine yourself, whether you truly have that conviction of sin, whether you truly have turned to the Savior, whether you have relied only on his finished work, rather than on your own goodness, rather than on your heritage, rather than on your lineage, rather than on your activity and your good deeds, that you are relying only on the finished work of the cross of Calvary. The Apostle Paul, as he talks about the resurrection here, he wants to get into a treatise of the resurrection, but he cannot do that without first talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, the resurrection is such an important part of the gospel and the gospel depends upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That The Lord Jesus Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by Peter and the 12 and so on. And the fact of the resurrection is one that has been established historically. And so with that, you know, the Apostle Paul, he gets into talking about why is the resurrection of Christ so important? And we find here six points as believers, you know, we need to understand why is the resurrection so important to our faith. And if we look at verses 12 to 19, we can see here uh, uh, six points of why the resurrection is so important to us. Let's look first of all, uh, starting at verse 12. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So he starts off with a statement that says that, you know, you some of you are here in this church and you're preaching that there is no resurrection, that there is no such thing that once you die, you're dead. There is no resurrection. There is no life after death. If that's the case, then of course it follows that Christ himself could not have risen. And then he goes into the implications of that. Verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, point number one, If Christ did not rise from the dead, then preaching Christ would be senseless. The resurrection is such an integral part of the gospel message that we have nothing to preach without the resurrection. The gospel would just be a fairy tale, like you tell you know, the once upon a time stories that we tell to our little children and everything ends happily ever after, but we know that it's not true. It would be a fable. It would be a fairy tale. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then he says... Uh, our preaching is empty. There is no substance to it. And so it is important that Christ had risen from the dead in order for our preaching to make sense. Secondly, if Christ did not rise from the dead, second part of verse 15, your faith is also empty. Our faith in Christ would be useless. The object of our faith wouldn't be worth believing in. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he did not rise from the dead, that means he's still in that tomb or his body is decayed ...and and never rose again... ...and we are serving a savior who is dead... ...not one who is risen... ...and the object of our faith is not worth believing him... he's a dead man... ...just like all the other great men uh, in history... ...whether it's Muhammad or Buddha or whoever... ...they all died... ...they were all buried... ...they never came back from the dead... ...Christ too would have never come back from the dead... ...if there is no resurrection... ...why is the resurrection of Christ important... ...because if Christ did not rise from the dead then our very faith in Christ would be pointless. It would be useless. The object of our faith would not be worth believing. Point number three, verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. And Paul says that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then the witness and the preachers of the resurrection would be liars. Would be false witnesses. The entire gospel message is a lie; that it would have uh, no value at all. And he says here that if, if 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 the dead do not rise, then Christ did not rise. And if Christ did not rise, then our our very gospel message, our witness, our testimony that God had raised Christ from the dead, would be falsehood. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then the witness and the preachers of the resurrection would be liars. The fourth point we find in verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And this is so important. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then none of us would be redeemed from sin. The resurrection of Christ signified victory over sin. Without that victory, we are still in our sin. Without the victory of Christ through resurrection over sin, over over death, that means our sins would never be forgiven. Our sins would would still we would still be you know when we died we would be dying in our sins we would be not dying as redeemed as redeemed people and therefore we would have no hope if christ did not rise from the dead then no one would be redeemed from sin and the resurrection uh, his resurrection which signified victory over sin is so important to our very uh, hope that we have and then fifthly verse 18 Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You know, very often when people die, that we know that they're believers, we we say that they died in hope, that we know that we are going to see them again one day. But again, the fact that we are going to see them one day is predicated on them being resurrected, which is predicated on the resurrection of Christ. And so if Christ did not rise from the dead, then all the believers who have perished without resurrection, this life is it. There is not another life and there is no hope beyond the grave. Their sins would not be forgiven as we heard and there would be no hope anymore that we would see them again, that they would rise again and they would be dying in sins just like any unredeemed person. Finally, if Christ did not rise from the dead, verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. You know, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then the Christians believers in Christ like us, we would be the most pitiable people on earth because there would be no point in trying to live a holy and righteous life on earth. Why do we go through all of the pain and the, 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 the perceived sacrifices of trying to live a holy life on the earth? The Apostle Paul talks about this in the same chapter in verse 30. He talks about his suffering. If we can turn there, First Corinthians 15 verse 30, he says, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the death do not rise? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts, if what advantage is it to me? The Apostle Paul says, look at all the suffering that I have been through in my life. I have fought beasts. I have been beaten and left for dead. I have been Imprisoned, I have been in all kinds of perils and all kinds of storms and all kinds of persecutions. Why would I have to go through that? I die literally every day. I endure all of this. What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? And he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We see the world around us, people going through the worldly pleasures and enjoying it. And we know that we give that up. Why do we give that up? Why do we say that is not for us? Why do we say we do not want that life? We make sacrifices, we endure much in anticipation of the life to come. But if there is no such life, if the resurrection of Christ wasn't real, and therefore our resurrection into, uh, uh, into an eternal life, into a new life is not real, then we have no hope and we are of all men the most pitiable. Because all that we go through in our life as believers, the suffering, the struggle, the pain, the sacrifices that we make, the efforts that we put in it is so hard to live a righteous life when you are in your sinful body. But all that we go through to, to accomplish that would be worth nothing. And therefore, it is important to us that Christ has risen from the dead. His resurrection, it is, it is the basis on which we stand. It is the basis for the gospel. It is the basis for the life we live. Our entire life, our entire salvation, uh, everything rests upon the reality of the resurrection of Christ why is Christ the resurrection of Christ so important because if Christ did not rise from the dead the preaching of Christ would be senseless if Christ did not rise from the dead our faith in Christ would be useless if Christ did not rise from the dead the witness and the preachers of the resurrection would be liars if Christ did not rise from the dead no one would be redeemed from sin if Christ did not rise from the dead all former believers would have perished without a hope and finally if Christ did not rise from the dead, we Christians would be the most pitiable people on earth. Oh, it is so important, this message, this truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Apostle Paul goes on from verse 20 to talk about the consequences for us. What does it mean to us today, the fact that Christ rose from the dead? We know why it is important, but what does it mean to us? Verse 20 to 23, but now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. First consequence, there are three things that, that we see in this passage here. Uh, is that we will rise again one day, even as Christ did. Christ is the first fruits. He was the first fruits. The first fruit always indicated that there was a harvest coming behind it. The people of Israel, they had to take the first fruits and bring it to the temple and give it as an offering because there was a big harvest coming. If you got the first fruits, you knew there was a harvest, a crop coming behind it. Christ is the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead. There are many to come after him. His resurrection gives us the glorious hope. Why is it that when we bury a fellow believer we speak of the hope it is because christ is risen from the dead and just as he rose from the dead and the scripture tells us he is the first fruits we are the harvest that is coming behind him so the consequence of for us of christ's resurrection is that we will rise again one day we can be absolutely certain of that resurrection of our dead bodies on that day because christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who who have fallen asleep and of those who will fall asleep before his glorious return. Secondly, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The second consequence Uh, of the for us of christ's resurrection is that when we are resurrected like he was we will put on a glorious body our corrupt body will be replaced by an incorrupt body there will be no more sickness no more ravages of sin and decay in our body but it tells us here that our body is sown in corruption it is laid into the ground in corruption but when it gets raised it is raised in incorruption it is sown in dishonor but it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness but it is raised In power, it is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Oh, what a glorious hope we have. Because Christ rose from the dead, because he was given a glorified body, so also our corrupt body will be replaced. That as we go through the the ravages of sin in this life, the suffering and the pain and the struggle that we go through, we can look forward to that hope that we are going to be raised one day. And we are going to put on this glorious body and there will be no more sickness and there will be no more sin and there will be no more death and there will be no more grief. That is the glorious hope that we have in all those who believe in Christ. have. Finally, verse 54, the third consequence of Christ's resurrection. He says, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of us who struggle today to deal with sin in our lives, we all struggle, but we will have a final victory over death and over sin. And we will have that final victory over death. The death is a result of sin, but when that resurrection happens, sin has been finally destroyed sin has been has been removed sin will no longer have dominion over us we will be freed from the very presence of sin we have been freed when christ died on the cross of calvary we were freed from the penalty of sin today as we walk and we are being sanctified we walk in the holy spirit in the filling of the spirit we are being saved from the power of sin but that day when we are resurrected and we receive that resurrection body we will have the final victory and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Today we struggle with sin as the Apostle Paul did in Romans 7. He cries out, who will rescue me from this body of sin? We struggle with the consequence of sin, but we have that hope. Not only are we going to be resurrected, but we will be freed from the power. We will have the final victory. Christ has won the victory, but we will realize that victory on that day when we are resurrected together as Um, as the harvest behind the first fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the consequences for us of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? We will rise again one day as Christ did for sure. We can be certain of this fact. Secondly, we will put on a glorious resurrection body. Thirdly, we will have a final victory over death. Thank God for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for what it means to us. And then, you know, the... uh, the resurrection of Christ is not just an academic thing. It's not just something we study about to look forward to what wonderful things we're going to get. As we talked about here, you know, so many wonderful things that are going to happen to us when we are resurrected just as Christ is resurrected. But it also needs to motivate us to live for the Lord in this present world. And that's true with any doctrine. You know, A lot of the life we live is, is, is done for the, for the world to come. You know, We lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven you know where moth and rust do not corrupt but yet all of this has to have an impact on our life today and so the apostle closes with that with the exhortation to the believers and the exhortation to us about how should we live in the light of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ verse 58 therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord you know, perhaps these heretics who were coming into the Corinthian church were, were looking at the believers and laughing about the way that they were trying to live their lives as holy lives and they were saying, no, it's because we have eternal life and we have to live this way on this life. And they were laughing and saying, what are you talking about? There is no resurrection. And the Apostle Paul closes out this, this wonderful chapter, this treatise on the resurrection by saying, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the lord and he gives them three instructions on how they ought to live how we ought to live in the light of the resurrection of christ first of all be steadfast be steadfast in the faith hold to your faith in the face of difficulties do not give up there will be people coming and questioning you there will be circumstances in your life that make you question the truth is it worth living this life for the lord jesus christ but he says be steadfast Do not be moved. Secondly, be immovable. Be unshakable. Don't let the momentary troubles that you're going through move you away from living for the Lord. Be steadfast and be immovable. Always, thirdly, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Nothing that we do for Christ in this life is going to be in vain. Galatians chapter 6 has the same thought we can turn to galatians 6 and verse 9 and 10 he says and let us not grow weary while doing good let me tell you it can be so wearing sometimes to do good for the lord it can be so wearing sometimes to pour our lives into our fellow brothers and sisters in christ it can be so wearing to to do things in the church because we don't see the results but He says here, do not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap. It can be so weary when we find that all the things we do are not bearing much fruit, that nothing is coming, that perhaps we don't see the changes uh, happening in the lives from the work that we are doing. But he says in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Dearly beloved, Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Nothing that we do for Christ in this life will be for vain. We will receive the eternal glory and the reward. Think about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you and I. Think about the fact, the reality of his resurrection. Think about what it means for us. Think about the glorious hope that we have. Think about uh, the glorious resurrection body that we are going to have. Think about the sinless eternity that we are going to be in. And the fact that the reward is sure. The reward is promised. If you are bound in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. The Apostle Paul says. Yes your Lord rose again. Yes there is a resurrection from the dead. Yes we have a glorious hope. That we can look forward to. But that hope ought to, uh, ought to show itself. Ought to manifest itself in your and my life. In this life today. In this world today. And we ought to be steadfast. We ought to be immovable. We ought to abound in the work of the Lord as we live our life. Do you live your life knowing that you serve a risen Savior? Are you steadfast in serving Christ, knowing that you will be resurrected into glory? Maybe you're facing a lot of difficulty in your life today, but we need to resurrect our hope. We need to renew our hope. We need to take courage. We need to stay the course. We need to continue doing the work of the Lord pouring ourselves into the life into the edification of our fellow believers uh spending time growing in in the in in the in the word of the lord growing in our walk with the lord so that we can get that reward because we serve a risen savior what a wonderful truth is this the resurrection of the lord jesus christ but it is not just an academic truth it is not just something that happened 2000 years ago that we can look back at and and be thankful for it is not just something that that is going to have benefits for us out in the future after we are done with this life. But it is something that ought to animate us today. It is something that ought to drive us today to be more faithful for the Lord, to be more steadfast, to be immovable, unshakable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. May the Lord enable us to do that. I wanted to sing a song. Stanley, did you, uh, where's Stanley? Were you able to practice it? I want to sing this song. I hope uh, enough of you know it. It's called, uh, I serve a risen savior. He's in the world today. Can you put up the words? I know that he is living whatever men may say. How many of you know this song? Okay, good. He lives. Just go to the chorus. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart. When we all stand up? I
2: serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever man may say, I see His hand of mercy. The time I need it is always there. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving King. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy Face of His of will come at last He lives, he lives Christ Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me Along life's narrow way He lives, he lives Salvation to impart You ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O oh Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujah to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek it. The help of all who so loving so good and kind he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to empower you ask me how I know he lives my heart
1: let's stay standing as we pray. heavenly father we thank you that we do serve a risen savior this morning we thank you father that we have a savior who came to this world as a man who bore our sins went to the cross like a criminal he was nailed there he died he was buried but we praise you lord this morning father god that on the third day he rose again and He has ascended up into heaven and He seated at Thy right hand until His enemies be made His footstool. Lord, we thank You that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, is Lord. Father, we look forward to that day. But today, Lord, as we live in this world with all of its pain and all of its suffering, all of its difficulties, all of the pressures, Lord, As we try to live a life that is worthy of the calling with which you have called us, Father. We thank you, Lord, that the hope of a risen Savior, Lord, gives us the strength to endure. We thank you, Lord, that he is coming again. We thank you, Lord, that because he rose again from the dead, all those who are dead in Christ in him will rise again into a glorified body. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection that is ours because he was resurrected from the dead because he was the first fruits and we are the harvest to follow. Oh, Father God, as the Apostle Paul has exhorted us, we pray, Lord, that each of us here living in this world today, living for the Savior, Lord, that we would be steadfast, that we would be immovable, that we would abound in the good work of the Lord, that we would not grow weary in doing good, Father, for, and we may realize that in due season we shall reap If we do not lose heart. Lord we pray. That we would not lose heart. Pray Father. We would not lose heart. Because of the sin. In our life. That besets us. Pray Father. We would not lose heart. In in studying your word daily. Pray that we would not lose heart. In being obedient. To the word. The holy word. Of God. We pray Father. We would not lose heart. In doing what is right. And rejecting. What is wrong. Pray that we would not. Lose heart. In. Pouring ourselves into the life of our fellow brother and sister in Christ. I pray Lord that we would not lose heart in building our families on the word of God. In being husbands who love our wives as Christ loved the church. and. As wives who submit to their husbands, pray that we would not lose heart in raising up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We pray, Father, we would not lose heart in sharing the gospel, even though we might do it and people may not respond. Yet, Lord, we pray that we would abound in the good work of the Lord, the good work of the man of God, the woman of God. O Lord God Almighty, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to examine ourselves this morning in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he is a risen savior, that he is the one we serve, that he walks beside us day by day, that he is the one who loves us and cares for us. And Lord, we pray that out of our love for him, that we would serve him daily, Father. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we give to you all the glory and the praise. We pray that as we go out into the week, Lord, and the months ahead, that we would renew, that we would be renewed, Lord, because of the hope of the resurrection. We thank you for that day when we will receive those glorified bodies. We thank you for the eternity that we will spend in the presence of our Lord with no sorrow, no grief, no sickness, no death, no pain. Lord, we look forward to that. But we pray, Father, that all of those facts, all of those, all of that reality, that, that hope, Father, would drive us. Towards more holy living. That we may be pleasing in thy sight. That we may be filled with the Holy Spirit day after day Father. We give you all the glory and the praise. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.